Hello and welcome to the Spine and Nerve Podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Hobes and thank you all for joining us today. I am always in awe of the fact that people come back and listen on a regular basis to hopefully be entertained, hopefully learn a little bit of something, uh, and hopefully just want to be a part of this amazing community. Uh, Today I have the pleasure of talking with one of uh, my good buddies here in the PMNR Interventional Spine Space, Dr. Nikhil Verma. Dr. Verma is a graduate of The Ohio State University. He went to St. George's University for medical school um, and then ended up doing his PMNR residency at Kingsburg Jewish Medical Center, uh, followed by a spine and musculoskeletal, musculoskeletal health fellowship uh, at Alabama Ortho Spine and Sports. Um, you know, one of the things that I really love about Dr. Verma, um, a couple of things. One uh, is that he is really open and honest about telling his story and about trying to help people to understand that there are many paths to success in our field, in our industry, uh, in the world, and trying to make sure that we're happy and fulfilled at the end of the day in the way that we're presenting things to patients, the way that we're approaching our own practice, the way that we're approaching our own life. Um, but also, I think one of the things that's really, really cool that kind of goes right along with that, Dr. Verma started his own practice in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Uh, he finished his fellowship at the end of 2020. Um, his fellowship did get pushed back a little bit because of the COVID pandemic and a couple of the months where things were not happening in the medical world uh, on the elective side. And then in January of 2021, he opened Essential Sports and Spine Solutions and has really kind of just bootstrapped his way to creating the practice that he wants, finding a way to really make the career that he wants to make and providing the care that he wants to provide for his patients, which I find extremely um, inspiring. And I hope that you guys will find this conversation extremely inspiring. Uh, so uh, uh, we will be talking with Dr. Verma after the break. Uh, until then, guys, I just want, once again want to say thank you so much for listening. I hope that you continue to listen, to learn, to share, um, help us to continue to grow the podcast and to get more people interested in the PM&R and pain medicine worlds and uh, for you anesthesiologists out there and the anesthesia worlds as well. All right, guys, without further ado, Dr. Verma. All right, Dr. Verma, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. Good. So uh, just gave a little intro to you and some of your background, but you know, I think the story always uh, comes a little bit better out of, uh, out of your mouth. So to give us a little origin story, kind of how did you get to where you are now and uh, you know, from med school residency at all? Yeah, uh, well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's always a great opportunity to talk about these kind of things and hopefully help inspire some other people out there. Um, born and raised in uh, Ohio, Marion, Ohio, just about an hour north of Columbus. I went to undergrad at Ohio State University, um, and <clears throat> undergrad was a pre-med biology major. And as I was getting throughout my years at, at school, I'm like, you know, what do I want to, what kind of medicine do I want to go to? Do I even want to go to medicine? You know, the similar thoughts that a lot of people have, understanding, you know, the stress and studying for MCATs at that time and how much time you're going to be away from family and friends and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually did not even get into medical school my first round um, of interviews or anything that 
was I don't even think I was waitlisted actually. So I was like, it took the extra year to spend some time. Fortunately, I graduated early from Ohio State uh, because I had a bunch of credit hours loaded up from post-secondary classes. And I was able to use that time off to kind of screw some things up. Um, I didn't get into any medical schools that I would have wanted to go to. And the even the second time around. So I ended up opting for St. George's University. Uh, my limiting factor was actually my med MCAT scores at that time. Um, I had everything else on my resume looked fine, comparable to my colleagues. But my MCAT scores were average, you know, um, and it was specifically the English portion for what it's worth. I don't know. I don't know. It's changed a lot since I took the MCATs, but uh, it was a lim it was a limiting factor, right? And then, uh, so I ended up going to St. George University. That took me to Newcastle, England for a year, where I did uh, pretty much a first year medical textbook stuff. Not much clinical stuff, but really, really book heavy stuff. And then second year of med school, I went to St. George University in Grenada that had a, their main campus. And I was down there for a year um, and getting more hands-on stuff, but also a lot, a lot of book work. Mm -hmm. Clinical rotations in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, hopping around from different hospitals in Brooklyn, New York, um, mainly uh, with the NYU and Kingsburg Jewish Medical Center and Methodist Hospital. They've all kind of changed names now and gone through different organizations but uh, what happened was my pgy4 year i was doing a pmnr elective and i got along with well with the residents i got along well with the program coordinator uh, director and the uh, program coordinator and fortunately i matched there for my residency i did my intern year in michigan came back to brooklyn and ended up having a really good time and really took advantage of what i was learning in uh residency I think that's like, a, it's a good place to pause because I think that's like one of the most important things. And I know we've discussed, I think I was towards my end of my residency when we started getting introduced to each other and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, you know, obviously with, as people go through residency, you know, get exposed to so many different tools in every program. And I was, you know, have listened to you talk about before, you know, the, the, the way that we get trained uh, specifically within PM&R, but I think every uh, specialty is the same way you know, where we get trained, the people we get trained with leads to so much of how we view the, the medical world, right? And the way that we're going to interact with, with our patients in the future, the way we, we think about specific things and, and trying to make the most of all of those interactions and all of the, the great people that we can learn from, but also being open to understanding that there's likely more out there, uh, more that we can learn, different people, different perspectives, um, I think I heard you say once, you know, the different dogmas that are, that are there to be able to, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, because obviously med medicine is different and even, you know, PM and R residencies, your residency, I'm sure was exponentially different than mine at UC Davis. Right. And, yeah, right. and, and you know, and so being able to understand and learn those nuances, but then be able to find things that are interesting and uh, helpful for the future career you're going to build and ways that you're going to be able to uh, kind of I guess, direct where you're going to go afterwards. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's a huge message. Um, <clears throat> in all uh, honesty, I wasn't thrilled about getting matched into Brooklyn. Uh, I wanted to move back to Ohio. I wanted to move back to my family. Uh, and I still have a lot of friends here. So I wasn't exactly thrilled, but, um, you know, it was kind of to your point. It's it, I made, I'm, and I tell this all the time, it's, I made the best opportunity of the situation I had. Mm. Um, so much involved that it, me and my colleague, we both had to become co-chiefs that we were so involved from day one, like, let's change the curriculum. Let's start doing this. Let's start doing that. Let's, let's do didactics about this. Hey, let's go to anatomy lab. So we started really 
raising the bar because uh, back in the day, Kingsbrook was not a place that people wanted to go. Um, and I don't know if it is or not, is it? But at least the years that we spent there, um, we did absolutely awesome. We crushed it. We got to learn what we wanted to learn. We, you know, pass every all the boards and all that stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, we got licensed and but we also had a really good time. We had yeah. a good small group of friends. So yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I encourage anyone out there is like, you know, you go in a situation that you're not loving. It's like, okay, that's fine. So how do you make this better? How do you make it better for yourself? Can you propose things to the leadership? Um, are there different ways that different people like to learn? Do you get in small groups on the weekends or after work? Because, uh, you know, ultimately after PGY2 year, PM&R residency is not terrible. You know, it, it gets, you have more time to do the things that you want to go specialize in. And I think that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, I've had the perspective now of, you know, having finished uh, a little while ago and having walked a lot of medical students uh, through the process of looking at the programs. I mean, I think one of the things that I've really kind of come to as the main thing for just about any program is, you know, how open are the leadership to in taking feedback, right? At the end of the day, that might yeah. be the most important thing for going into any residency. You know, you, you get there, something's not quite right, or you, or maybe you're just a little different than everybody else. And you're looking for a specific type of education or a specific uh, ability to, to test something out. Um, how open is the leadership there to allow that um, curiosity to foster? Because that'll help everybody to have just much, so much better careers. Yeah. I think a lot of people get bogged down. Oh, this residency doesn't do a lot of procedures. This residency doesn't give us opportunity to do a lot of spine stuff. And I want to do spine or uh, a lot of joint injections. Like, honestly, I thought the same way and I felt the same way. Mm -hmm. But what we did is we practiced ultrasound on each other. We went back to the textbooks and studied how do you set up a fluoroscopy machine without us actually touching the needle. We're still able to do so much for our minds. So, you know, I, by the time I got the fellowship, my fellowship director like, go ahead. Like, what do you mean? Go ahead. I don't know what I'm doing, but he's like, no, this is like, I'm going to teach you through this. Yeah. So this is what you do first. This is what you do second. So, okay. So then you build up confidence over time. So people that get discouraged, like, oh, this residency isn't doing anything for me. It's like, you're just, you're missing some of the other things that you can be adding on top of it. Yeah. So, so how did you decide on which fellowship you wanted to do? <laughs> so I was uh, really adamant back in high school. Uh, I was, playing i played football um my freshman sophomore year and started becoming you know really athletic and get growing into my own and that kind of stuff um you know i went to a smaller school so it's kind of easy to rise up to the upper tier of you know people there but you know i wasn't the greatest but i wasn't the worst starting defense and that kind of stuff well i was sprinting down the field to down a punt and i overextended my back and I, my legs kind of gave out my back didn't really hurt but my legs gave out right so I'm like trying to run to the sideline. Every time I try to sprint, like my legs just give out under me. I'm like, what's going on? So I had to walk to the sideline, got some treatment. Long story short, I ended up finding out that I had a, a PARS defect that no one ever knew about. And um, ended up having to quit sports, rested, all that stuff. It's like, so I got really into rehabilitation medicine and kind of prehab and postab and stretching and strength training and all that stuff. And just that fitness kind of lifestyle. So I always thought I was going to go into sports medicine, mm -hmm. thinking that the only way to get to sports medicine was through family medicine or you know, emergency medicine. Uh, eventually, my roommate at the time said, hey, I'm doing this PM&R rotation at Kingsbrook. Why don't you join me? Um, I think we'll have a lot of fun. It'll, so that really opened my eyes up. 
Fast forward a few years, I'm doing my three year where I have more time for electives. I did uh, one uh, elective with um, uh, the late Dr. Malanga, you know, rest in peace. Uh, he, he opened my eyes up to another side of sports medicine, with regenerative medicine, and how we can treat patients and set patient-centered care and all this stuff, um, which was fantastic. And like, this is what I want to do. And then about four months later, five months later, I was doing another elective sports medicine rotation at a hospital in New York. And I'm going to clinic and I'm going to all these things like, gosh, this is just PM&R clinic. I don't know if I want to do another year. Of this. this is the same thing that I've been doing. And it's no offense to sports medicine doctors. They know way more about sports medicine stuff than I do. I just didn't want to do the sideline coverage. I didn't want to go to training rooms. And I know it's a vital portion of what they're learning and what they want to do. And that just wasn't for me. Mm. So I ended up uh, not applying for pain fellowships, but interventional sports and spine fellowships uh, popularized by North American Spine um, Society. <clears throat> and <clears throat> interviewed a bunch of places. Again, I interviewed at Cleveland Clinic, I interviewed Michigan, I interviewed two other places. And ultimately I ended up luckily getting into Birmingham, Alabama, <clears throat> where my fellowship direct director is the one that says it's all about dogma. You know, it's about the dogma you learn about what you want to do and how you treat patients. Um, but fortunately it was one of the best experiences of my life. I got a lot of procedures done. I got a lot of knowledge. I have great friends from that program and great resources that we can converse with. So that's how I ended up, uh, in this field. Right on. Now, in fellowship, did you guys do a lot of uh, regenerative or is that mostly just the exposure with uh, Dr. Malanga? It was mainly just exposure with Dr. Malanga. And I, I kept up with it uh, over the years during residency. I, I kind of, you know, kept um, things to read, went mm -hmm. to a couple conferences, but we didn't do very much. Um, they're actually, I believe they're going into the regenerative medicine now, which would be great, but it is what it is. It was really just to learn the techniques because you can't learn that stuff in the weekend course. Yep. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think the story that you tell is kind of a, a very common story that, you know, we hear from talking to people and, you know, it's particularly, you know, like you said, PGY3 residents and starting to look at, you know, I know I want more training. I know I'm not going to get exactly what I need to go into the, into the career that I want, but I'm not sure which direction. Um, I always use exactly what you said, the sideline coverage and locker room. Like if, if that's what you want, you got to do sports, you know, but if that's not what you want, there's a lot of ways to learn how to, you know, stick a needle in a knee and a hip and and learn the techniques uh, that you know they that they can uh, that can help optimize uh, all of the things for patients. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, thankfully, you know, NAS and I'm I'm sure there's plenty of other uh, places that are starting to look into uh, yeah. you know being able to at least give some uniformity to the educational process, right? I mean, there's plenty of the unaccredited uh, fellowships for a while. Uh, that before NAS came along um, and started to accredit some of the the non ACGME programs, um, but a lot of a lot of different ways to to learn and to to work with people that have been doing it for a long time. Um, you know, I mean, I think one of the most interesting things uh, about you is that you know going through all of this, learning all of these things, you know, and then you know we get to you know the real world, and mind you, by the time you're finishing uh, fellowship. The real world's kind of a different world than the the real world that I came out of, you know, came into in you know 2016. Um, but you decided to open up your own practice, um, which yeah. is kind of which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah we we'll definitely go through that, and we'll talk about some pros and cons about that for sure. Um, eventually, essentially, what happened was I'm sitting there at my fellowship, knowing that I want to go back to Ohio. I want to spend time with my family. 
uh, spend time with my parents, um, be closer to them. Be, you know, I haven't lived in Ohio for nine years at this point. So it's like, I got to get back, right? Uh, nine plus years. Um, wow, if you think about it, it's almost 12 years. So yeah, I just like, I want to go back. And um, I applied for a job in Columbus. I'm like, great, this is going to be perfect. So I interviewed them before my fellowship. They said, we'll fly you up when we're more serious about contract negotiations. Flew me back up for the weekend, talked to them. I was like, listen, you know, that's great. But, um, you know, pay and all that stuff, fine. They send a contract over. I review it with my my bosses or my mentor, uh, uh, fellowship director and uh, the assistant fellowship director. So we kind of looked at it separately and, I'm like, all right, listen. And I asked a lot of friends um, in the PMR field, pain management field. So I, I said, like, all right, I want to change something. I don't, I wasn't asking for money. I wasn't asking for more time off. I wasn't really asking for anything like that. I just said, these are some changes I'd like to see in my contract. Mm-hmm. They came back and said, yeah, no, we're not doing any of that. The contract is what it is. And that's just how we go. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And I guess that's the end of that conversation. Uh, so I never went back. About six months later, they call me again and say, hey, we want to come back up. We'll talk to you. So I go back up and said, yeah, let's, let's have a discussion again. It's like, okay, we want, we want, we need you. We want you. Great. All right. Can I do things like Vertiflex? Can I do things like Intercept? Can I do things like Spinal Cord Stim and all this stuff? And they're like, no, yeah, no, we have surgeons. We don't really need you to do those kind of things. Hmm. So I'm like, so you just want me to do epidural after epidural and needle branch block, even though we have all these other things. It's like, yeah, pretty much. It's like, and then the the by then the money did not make sense, right? When you look at RVUs and all that stuff, and that's a whole nother topic. So I came back down to Birmingham. I asked my bosses, sit down with them, said, if you were to start this all over again, what would you do? And I asked that to about 15 or 20 people and that have made it in the world. And like all of them, except for one, said I would have started my own thing. Hmm. I was like, you know, if everyone keeps saying this, I'm like, you got There's got to be something there. So I had late night with my uh, dad and my brother sitting around a fireplace and just talking. And they're like, why don't you still put your own thing? So that was kind of like the green light. Like, just go get it. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You just go go do it. So that's kind of how I did it. Um, and that's kind of how I le- ended up where I am. And it was a slow process. It still is a slow process. I'm not nearly anywhere I need to be. Thankfully, I'm just starting to become a little bit profitable month to month, which is always hard in the first year, two years, three years, up to five years even. Um, so I did some locums to help bridge the gap, which was very helpful. And yeah, now I'm just trying to build up a patient population and deliver the care, deliver my own dogma out there. Oh, that's that's amazing. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely not a common path, right? I mean, I think you know the, you know there's Many of us and, and many many people that are coming out of uh, out of training, you know, look at the hosp- big hospital systems. You know, look at the big private practices in the area that are um, that that have been well established. Um, and you know, for better or worse, a lot of people just kind of accept that you know the first job may not be everything. You know, maybe you won't be able to get yeah. to do the things that you want to do. Um, and you know, you either get in and you know open the door a little bit more each, each day or each time that you prove yourself and try to hope eventually things change or, or, you know, or maybe, you know, move on to a different position after that. Um, but to actually have the balls to, to, you know, actually just say, you know what, I know what I want. And I think that, 
I want to just take the time to actually create the practice that I actually want to build. Uh, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty wild. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it was a challenge. I wasn't, I didn't want to back away from, especially like this. Uh, and here comes with, you know, the disclaimer is, you know, I, I'm fortunate that I have good family structure. Um, fortunate in my eyes, but maybe not other people. I, I don't have any kids. I don't have any mortgages. I don't have a lot of student loans. Um, half my Ohio State as a state college was paid for. Hmm. So I don't have any undergrad loans. It's really just med school loans. Um, I didn't go into more and more debt into residency and fellowship. I just kind of lived under my means, still living under my means. Um, again, don't have any kids. Um, definitely cost me a relationship that, you know, I made the choice that like, listen, I need to go do my, I need to go grow this practice and do my thing. And it cost me someone that I love very dearly. Um, and it's not that it was bad terms and she completely understood, but you know, those are the sacrifices I was willing to take. And I'm not asking anyone to do that. I, I would urge people not to do that. I know people get married in residency or fellowship and have kids and have houses. Take care of your family first. You know, that, that's probably what's most important. My mindset right now is I don't want kids. I don't want to get married and I don't want to have a house. That might change and that's fine. But I just like, my mindset isn't definitely the one everyone needs to follow. Sometimes that $300,000, dollars a year looks really good. Yeah. So, I mean, as you're deciding to, to do this and, you know, you start, you know, actually trying to lay the groundwork for it, like walk me through like the very beginning stages. I mean, obviously there's plenty of technical things and I don't want to necessarily make this a, a very technical uh, kind of discussion, but I mean, you know, as you're just, you know, thinking about things like finding a space, you know, figuring out, you know, what, what part of town you're going to be in, how you're going to start interacting with, you know, people who are referring, maybe reaching out directly to the community and figuring out how to, you know, create a name where people can, you know, if, if it's that kind of uh, a market where people can directly refer themselves to you, like walk me through some of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll just start from the beginning. Um, the first thing is, you know, getting a business name, uh, applying for a business license in that state, setting up bank accounts, just the groundwork. Right. And then you're like, okay, where can I plop down? And to your point, you need to find a real estate property. Um, are you going to find something that you're going to rent or buy? Do you need to take a loan or not? Um, I was fortunate. I didn't have to take a big loan out for this. So now I can still take more loans if I need to, because I didn't take $500,000 from the beginning. Um, and that's what my friend had done. But regardless, of, so I decided I'm going to rent and finding a place. You don't want to be right next to another pain place. If, if you're in pain practice, if you want to do sports medicine, you don't want to be right next door. Mm -hmm. um, you want to be in a part of town that's easy to get to. Um, obviously, the space you want to make look nice. Uh, I still haven't decorated my apartment or my my, my uh, office too much, but it doesn't look like it's just a hole in the wall. Um, we did renovations, the whole thing. So all these things matter. I, I'm trying to look at from the patient's perspective a lot. Like if they were, if, if I was a command, if my mom was, what would the experience for them look like? So that's the way I look at everything. Um, getting phone con, getting uh, the phone systems, getting internet, getting an EHR, all these take time. Then the most important portion of your first year is getting in contract with the payers. Mm -hmm. And this is a very tedious task where you're just submitting the same information over and over again, just in different ways to eight, 12, 20 <laughs> different people and <laughs> different companies. And then they'll come back and say, no, we're not giving you any more contracts out. 
or they'll say, here's our contract. It is what it is, which is significantly lower than what you would get your friend down the streets getting or um, what someone's been in practice for more than three or four years is getting. So you take a major massive hit at the beginning and then filling up the office with furniture, uh, exam beds. If you're going to do pain procedures, are you going to get a fluoroscopy machine and a fluoroscopy table? Are you doing ultrasound procedures? Do you Are you good with a butterfly or are you going to spend the $30,000, $40,000 for something a little bit nicer? And all these go into play and you're weighing your pros and cons, pluses and minuses. Um, and then the biggest step after that is who am I going to hire first? That first person you hire has to be with you, kind of ride or die, needs to understand your flow, has to work well with you, because that's the person that's going to start training the next person. And you can train the next person, train the next person. And then ultimately that person elevates himself to a higher role in the office because now they have all these responsibilities and these skills that you've bestowed upon them. Um, so that's just, like just the baseline, I think. And then community relations is huge going out to doctor's offices. I communicate with my rep all the time. Are there any doctors you can introduce me to? Mm -hmm. Sure, they might not do it right away, but over time, I've gone to more and more events and meet people. And if you're personable and have a good time with them and show them that you're, what your care model is, most will respond really positively. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's wild. Cause I mean, obviously those are things anytime someone's going into private practice at all, right? All of those steps happen. Um, it's always just, fascinating like you know to have to take all and all of that yourself right i mean you know we're yeah. we're, we're we're a you know a decent sized group practice at this point we have you know eight physicians you know we're bringing on two fellows this coming summer you know when they come on all that's going to happen they're just not going to be aware of any of it right like we yeah. have we we have a process of being able to do that um but to have the to have to think about all of that when you're still a baby doctor, right? Like you're coming out of fellowship. You're still, you're still trying to get your feet under you and, you know, really trying to figure out who you are as a physician. Cause you know, I mean, I think all of us know that those first couple of years, whether it's not somebody necessarily looking over your shoulder, you know, you really hone the skills, hone that ability to be able to, you know, of, of who you're actually going to turn into um, as a, as an actual doctor. Exactly. No, to you, I mean, just, I don't know if you remember your first procedure that you were doing like really by yourself without the fellowship, without any anybody else to, and you're like, does that look right? And you know, you, I, I save all my films and stuff and I go back and review it. If I'm like, does that, and I'll send it to my friends and my fellowship group. I'm like, is this right? This doesn't look right. He's like, you're fine. You're just overthinking. Okay. Yeah. Just go yeah. back to what you know, go back to what you learn. Trust if you're doing something wrong, you know when to bail. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, even now there's some, something weird that happens. I'm like, why did that happen? And I'm sitting here studying the images. There might not be an answer, but you know, that's the reality when you don't have that cushion. And then it's not only that, everything can go wrong. Anything can go wrong in my office and I'm the one to blame at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now walk me through how you've kind of thought about um, some of the uh, advanced procedures. I mean, obviously you brought up, you know, some, some of them before and, you know, wanting to have access to them, but, you know, as, as somebody who's, you know, starting your own thing, um, I, I just walk me through how you're kind of bringing that in, into the fold um, kind of as a, uh, as an independent uh, provider, come, you know, starting something fresh in the community. Yeah. 
it's it was one just having access to procedures that other people don't do so that's a big benefit because the hospital systems here are going to take two to three years just to approve some of these procedures mm -hmm. and we'll just use we'll use the interspinous spacers as an example because they've been around for a while um the hospitals don't really want to prove it so quickly because of all these reasons uh bureaucracy compliance and all that stuff so a lot of the surgery centers are like, no, that's fine. As long as you're skilled enough to do it, show us a certificate of training, show us that you're competent. Um, and, and the way I see it most of the time is it's just another tool in my toolbox. Most of the time, I'm not fixing your actual problem. I'm providing a, a temporary relief. You may still need surgery at the end of the day. You may need a bit more massive surgery. Or the surgeon is like, eh, you're not ready for a surgery. You're, not, you're just not that bad. Come back in six months. Well, they're still in pain, so you want mm -hmm. to offer something else. And now we're seeing a lot more changes. Like, we'll just give the example of like basal vertebral nerve ablation because you know you can see that on MRI, and that's a non-surgical thing. So what are we supposed to do with these patients? Just uh, we'll just keep doing injections that aren't working because your discogenic or your vertebral pain is causing the, the problem. So it's, it's just good when you have another tool in your toolbox to look at and be like, this is something I can provide for you. Because we know that good patient care is worth its weight in gold because they're going to tell their friends and family, you don't need surgery. He has another solution for you. And I might not, not always have the solution. I think we know that. I think you have to be realistic with your limitations. Mm -hmm. There's a patient the other day. I'm like, I've done everything I can, even with the interspinal spacer. I think you need to go talk to a surgeon. If he says, come back to me, I'll try more for sure. But that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, you know, and, and that having that perspective, um, I think is really helpful. I mean, obviously not for just for you as a practitioner, but giving it, being able to educate the patients the right way with that um, really helps. And, you know, and, and hopefully, I mean, as you know, obviously we're kind of talking a lot about this as a, um, as a, you know, fascinating thing of starting your own practice, right? I mean, I would I would hope that because the hospital systems don't have it, you know, pretend, theoretically, I guess a lot of the people that work within those systems probably don't have access to it. It might open up a little bit more doors where, you know, as you're talking to the primary care doctor, you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, yeah, not only do we do, you know, epidurals and radiofrequency ablation, but we have all of these different tools that are available to to these patients where, you know, if they're, if they're indicated, they can be, you know, very helpful for them. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing is you have to do your training. You have to be educated. This is one of my big peeves in the industry, not as well as the industry, but these doctors, they follow them and they just say, every patient gets this. It wasn't indicated. And this is why we say it's not indicated because look at what the mess that you've caught, created because of this. So it's about being realistic with the goals and what your patient's goals are too. Yeah. So what does your practice look like now? Are you still, uh, are you still moonlighting, um, doing some, uh, some locums or is it, um, you you got your practice and that's your kind of full, full thing at this point? Yeah. So the practice is pretty much full attention. Now, uh, I'll do some chart reviews. I'll do some med Leo cases, but nothing that is going to, it doesn't cover everything, right? Mm -hmm. That's just kind of extra cash. Uh, but yeah, I, I've gotten up to seeing about eight to 12 patients a day and getting about eight to 15 procedures a week um, as well. So it, it's not like we're bringing in the bacon, let's go. It's, it's hey, we're sustaining. We're keeping the lights on. I'm not overdue on any of my bills. I'm not in debt anywhere. Um, the loans I'm going to be able to pay off in the next couple of months. 
you know, on a monthly. So it's good. It's, it's kind of at that stage where the more focus I put in this practice, it's just going to grow exponentially. Right on. And how many team members do you have at this point? Um, I have a front desk uh, in my Columbus office. I can still go to Marion once a week. Um, I have a good referral network up there, just growing up there. Uh, I have an uh, MA that works there with me. And then outside of that, um, I've kind of sent my billing to this company in uh, Florida. They do a great job and really hands-on with all my patients. That they, they will get on the phone with the patient and fix it. They do prior authorizations for me too. Um, they do a lot of practice management stuff too. So really, it's, it's just us right now, which is great. Nice. Um, I'm ready to expand. I'm getting to that point where I need to be spending more time with patients and procedures than doing back office stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're just, I'm looking for kind of an office manager that can kind of do more around the office too. Very cool. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, man, it's, it's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm, I will say, I mean, being able to handle not only, you know, learning how to fly on your own as a, as a physician, but also, you know, at, figuring out though everything in business, you know, like all at the same time, I, I, you know, like legitimately kudos to you. I think it's, I think it's such a, I such a fascinating it. story. And and it's, and it's awesome that things are to the point now where, you know, everything seems like it's really starting to pick up steam and, and, and really heading in the, in the right direction. Yeah, no, I really do appreciate that. Um, I, I think it, it makes a, a lot of people in out there like, Oh man, this guy could do it all the same way. And, and everyone can do it. There's nothing really holding you back. You just have to think what your priorities are. Um, I've lost a lot of hair. I have a lot more gray hairs than I did when I started this process, but it's all right. Um, and it's not all, it's not always great, right? It's every three to four weeks, sorry, three to four months, you hit a really, really painful stress point. And that stress point can last anywhere from one to four weeks until you get past that. You've kind of plateaued. You're like, and I'll say, well, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I should have just gone the route, safe route, done this. But undoubtedly, every time I felt like that for that amount of time, on the other end, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why I'm doing it. And it's it's always that one patient, right? That comes back to you and tears in their eyes. And they're like, thank you so much for what you do and how you do it. Because all those other doctors wrote me off. No one else wanted to help me out. Everyone else just says there's nothing that can be done. And, you know, I, I appreciate those compliments, but it, it's really what gets me up. It's what gets us coming back every day to do this, to be able to spend that time and do something meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that goes kind of across the board for all things in, you know, spine and, and pain medicine, right? I mean, you know, I get a lot of the, um, I have anesthesia interns that rotate with me when I'm at the VA. Um, and they're, it's always interesting because, you know, a lot of them, they're at that point of their careers where they chose anesthesia because they don't, you know, some of them are like, oh, well, you know, I liked some procedural things, but I don't really like a lot of the the patient interactions. And, you know, and then obviously some of it, you know, you have very certain patients that are um, the kind of the classic you know, pain, pain management patient, um, that they're like, yeah, this is, this is really why I don't like patient care. Um, you know, and then they spend some time. We do, we, we do some of the things that we get, we're capable of doing. And you can see, you know, a reaction, like you said, where all of a sudden there's this patient that just has this amazing thing. And it's like, this is, this is it, right. This is why we, you know, obviously we're, we're trying our best with every single patient, but you know, the, some of the, some of the responses are going to make up for the ones that are, are lacking in, uh, in, in what we're uh, trying to provide for them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Awesome, man. Well, let, let's, uh, kind of start wrapping up what let's leave people with maybe one vote of advice. You know, our average, uh, listener, 
is med student, maybe early resident, um, kind of thinking about a lot of different things, obviously trying to get the medicine right, trying to understand the different pathways for getting the education they need. Um, but obviously in the back of their head somewhere is their long-term goals of how they want to to practice medicine, how, you know, what setting they want to do it in, what they want their actual, you know, future practice to look like. Um, what What's one thing that you would kind of tell to yourself when you were, you know, so somewhere between an MS3 and a PGY2, uh, trying to, you know, work through it and trying to understand your future? Uh, I think the biggest thing, especially in that time frame, because there's so much uncertainty about yourself and about where you fit in this world exactly. And that's okay. I think there's nothing you need to do about it. And if that just means waking up every day, and going through the motions, learning what you need to learn, pass the next test. If you allow yourself to get into what you really enjoy and what you're passionate about and what can get you up in the morning and all that stuff is it will find you just as much as you find it. Mm. So you just have to let yourself open that opportunity and don't beat yourself up right now. Cause you don't know it, it's okay to change things down the road too. You know, maybe tomorrow I want to do something else. And will I say my practice is a failure because I want to do something else tomorrow? No, it's just, I changed my heart and passion what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. So I, I think it's really important, especially the time for, at that time, don't be so hard on yourself. It gets better each and every year after really day one of med school. <laughs> every year gets better, better, and better. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you spending time with us and uh, kind of letting everybody know about your story and hopefully inspiring a lot of people. Uh, you want to let everyone know where they can find you if anyone has questions or wants to reach out? Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My uh tag is taglines is uh drnv sports spine um i also have a youtube channel called things i didn't learn in med school i kind of go through the process of building your own practice i talk about some other things um, a little bit more practical things a little bit i get really heated in that sometimes because it's usually something that maybe upset the, during the week um and i kind of talk about it uh Otherwise, my practice name is Essential Sports and Spine Solutions. Uh, you can look me up online, and I'm on LinkedIn. So if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, you can feel free to reach out to me and happy to help out in any way I can. Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if, I mean, if you've made it this far, send a, send a quick note to Dr. Vermick saying thanks for uh, giving all the education. All right. And we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, everyone. Now for that legal disclaimer. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. If anything discussed may pertain to you, please seek counsel with your healthcare provider. The views expressed are those of the individuals expressing them. They may not represent the views of Spine and Nerve Diagnostic Center.